Thanks for joining us for another great message from Influences Church Australia. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, blesses you and brings you joy. For more information about our church, go online to influences.church. And now for our message. You know, today we're doing something cool. If you're from Newcastle, kill. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna take up an incredible miracle offering. You might be here and you might be fairly new to the church and you go, well, didn't we just do that? Yeah, we gave our tithes and offerings. But once a year, we do something over the top. We do something so filled with faith, something that I believe pushes us into the miraculous, something that takes away dependence on ourselves. We hear vision from God and we give over and above to say, God, we're in. God, amen. God, let it be so. So if you're here today and you're visiting This is a family moment. And what I'm gonna share, I promise you, if you listen and lean in today, this will help you. But if you're visiting, this is for people that are part of our church, people that have caught the vision, people that have prayed and prepared to give. And maybe you've gone, oh my gosh, how did I forget that was today? It's okay. We're gonna give an opportunity next week to do this as well as part of the service. But this is something we love to do. In fact, this is something that generations have done. Our church is 100 years old this year. How cool is that? for a hundred years, we've sown into the next generation. We've got vision, we've done bold things, and we've given in faith. So today, what are we giving to? Well, just over six years ago, God told us to start our, back then it was our fourth campus here in Adelaide, down south. And uh, since then, we've been looking and believing for a home. We bump in, bump out every week. But by God's grace, now that we're campus is about five and a half years old, God's given us our very own building, something. We've got a long-term lease in, something we're gonna renovate, something that's gonna be a lighthouse for the south. Come on, how exciting is this? We've got the most incredible facility that's gonna have so many kids' rooms, youth space. It's gonna be a 400-seater auditorium. I mean, it is beautiful. You're gonna get to see it soon. and It's gonna be great. And what we're actually doing is we're building a house of worship. We're building a, a lighthouse for that region so people would find Jesus and where people can come and their kids can grow up in the house of God. But we're also building a convention centre because We don't want a building that's empty during the week. We're gonna have schools come in. We're gonna have dance companies come in. We're gonna have a government come in. We're gonna have weddings happen in this place. I mean, we're believing for every week, hundreds or thousands of the community to come into the church and go, what? This is different to what I thought. And who knows, they might come back. And not only that, it provides provision for the vision because who knows, the building is not a vision ever. The building merely houses the vision. The vision is people. The vision is people finding God. The vision is generations growing up, knowing they are loved and loving their world, amen? So we've got a building that we're giving into, and that's really a main part of our South Campus, they're giving. For the rest of us, what are we doing? Ah, you know, something as bold and audacious, And you'd only do if it was led by the Spirit, something that's out of our comfort zone, but we know God's calling us to do. We are gonna start for our church, our first ever faith-based clinic with counsellors, psychologists, and allied health. We're believing for a day where we have doctors and pediatrics and, and more, and where Christians can come that are graced by God to help people in emotional, mental, physical, and relational healing to come in and be restored and to live their best God-shaped life. The biggest need beyond needing Jesus in our nation right now is in the area of mental health. 
There are so many people that come into our nation and move here and we welcome them to live here and they don't have a healthcare plan. They don't have access to the benefits that we do. We wanna have a clinic that not only meets the needs of Christians, because who knows, once you find Jesus, the rest of us needs restoring. We still struggle in the mind. Our marriages still struggle. We need help and people to walk with us and our kids to see restoration, but also we wanna help those in need. We wanna eventually have subsidies for those that can't afford health. We wanna be able to... um, uh, Uh, health practices, we want to be able to eventually be able to open free clinic moments for people that have no way of accessing what we have access to. We want to partner with the mission of God in seeing all things restored so that when you find Him, you can walk into wholeness, but then our community comes in and as they get healed in their emotions and mind, they say, something's different here. And because everyone practicing there will know Jesus at the right time and the right way, the opportunity to share Jesus, to maybe pray or share scripture or invite to meet God. I mean, could you imagine this working together as a new way and a new lighthouse into our community? We're gonna do it. It all begins from here. Today's the seed in the ground. But are you excited about this church? I am. It's bold, audacious. And I've had a lot of people come and say, hey, We'd love to be a part of it. We've got thoughts, we've got business expertise, we've got resource, we've got, maybe you're a practitioner and you're passionate about working in this space. And it's a big journey and we're gonna have steps. But if you're interested, you can simply go to www.influencers.church forward slash wellness. And there's a form you can fill out in the right time. We'll have the right conversations and go on this journey. It's exciting, it's exciting. Now we're doing this for you. We're doing this for us. We're doing this for our community. But I wanna remind you today why we do what we do as a church and who we are as a church and why we're doing this bold, generous, I love today. I love the faith we bring. I love the passion that comes. But today is not just to build something for now. Today is to build something for the generations. I believe this is biblical and I believe this is why we are the church we are. We are always focused on the next generation. So let me share something today. In First Chronicles, David actually does his heart for house offering. He went to build the temple and he actually went, well, it's actually not me. I'm giving resource for the next generation. And he actually talked to the whole nation about this. So let's go to 1 Chronicles 29. It says, Then King David turned to the entire assembly. David went to all of his campuses that day. And he said, My son Solomon. He focused straight away on the next generation. He said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, he's still young and inexperienced. He can't do this himself. He needs us, guys. This is what he's saying. The work ahead of him is enormous for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals it is for God himself he went to build the house of God with the vision of God that was given from God and he actually went the next generation will live in this the next generation will worship in this the next generation will build this but we have to give resource for them see that's what we're doing today too no I'm a I'm a husband been married for nearly 16 years I'm a pastor. I've been in this church for about 10 and a half years in ministry for nearly 16 years. I'm a wannabe basketballer and we got our grand final in two weeks. And if you wanna come along, get ready to see a show. Uh, I'm a novice cook and I give a bit of a go, that sort of thing. But the thing that my life legacy will be determined by is none of those things really as much as it is how I do with my kids. The greatest legacy in my life will be seen in my children. 
My greatest passion and my greatest mission from God is what I do with my kids. My responsibility, and I wanna show you as the church, God says this is all of our responsibility, is to raise my kids, to encourage my kids, to nurture my kids, to disciple and discipline my kids. You know why? Because I want them to have a better life than I have. Come on, all the parents, are you with me today? We want our kids, come on, you can be more excited than that. We, we want our kids to have a better life than us. We want, I want my kids to be better men than I am. I want them to be better husbands than I am. I want them to be closer to God than I am. And we have this opportunity, my mission in life is to train them and to set them up to create resource, knowledge, and pass it over to them so that they have their best life. You know, I get to see this in practice because kids are just totally honest. And um, one of my boys, both my boys love basketball. We are a basketball family and both my boys play. You'll hear about it a lot if you're part of our church. And, um, and one of my boys, I won't say which one, had a coach that he didn't connect with. And the coach was pretty aggressive. The coach would yell at him. The coach wasn't much of an encourager. So he would talk about this a lot and say, you know, he didn't wanna go to trainings and he was nervous if he did something wrong. He, my boy thinks he's the greatest player in the world, but uh, uh, he'd be like, he doesn't see my talent. So I said to him, every time you get frustrated, say to God, bless him, God. Say to God, bless my coach. And my boy looked at me and said, dad, that's old people talk. And I'm like, nah, it's actually Bible talk, Jack. He said, what it means is, God, despite how I feel, bless him love him and help him to be better. And he said, I don't want God to love him and I don't want him to be better. I want him to stop being my coach. And I'm like, no, no, you've got no choice. You're gonna work through this. And so I want you to say, bless him every time he yells at you. So we didn't talk more about it. I actually didn't think it got in. Two weeks later, I picked him up from training and he got in the car and I said, how is training today? And without a moment's pause, he said, I did a lot of blessing today, Dad. It's pretty cool to see the little things you sow in your kids come out in them. Do you know, that's our responsibility as a church, not just to come in and absorb what we have, but to make a way for the next generation. Can I show you a couple of things today? 50 years ago, 50 years ago, 50% of teenagers went to church each Sunday. Do you know what the number is today? 5%. In 50 years, we've gone from 50% of teenagers going to a church to 5% of teenagers today go to a church. Do you know what Aussies love? Aussies love beer, Aussies love sport, and Aussies love music. And at the top of their list is not the church. And can I tell you today, if church is not at the top of your priority list for your children, when they grow up, they are swimming against the tide, the church won't be at the top of their priority list later either. Where you have your priorities now will affect where their priorities are later. I'm going to show you some stats today. Because um, I think, and I'm, there's a study that was done recently in all the world and here in Australia, looking at the trends of teenagers or Gen X, uh, 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 so millennials, whatever it is, I can't remember. And it was um, for basically from 13 to 19 year old, they looked at this age group and they wanted to see what their habits were, what their emotions were, what their struggles were, and what their faith was. And they looked at Australia too. And they found this, we'll put it on the screen. In Australia today, if they, when they surveyed teenagers, they found that 55% of teenagers living in Australia today have no faith at all. 
Only 32% of young Australians will identify as being a Christian and 14% would say they're other. Now they looked at this 32% of teenagers that say they're a Christian and this is what they found on the next screen. They found out that only 3% of the 32% were actually committed to their faith. That meant they were in regular worship in church, they read their Bible and they prayed. They found out that of the 32% that would say they're a Christian, only 47% have never read the Bible. And only 37% of that number ever attend church. As we go on, you'll see some other things. There was so much more. This is then a comparison of teenagers of faith in Australia versus the rest of the world. The gray and the burgundy, the dark red color there, you'll notice, are those that never pray or only several times a year pray, go to church, read the Bible, or have a spiritual conversation. Compared to the rest of the world, we are a much more atheistic or religious community here in Australia. Australia is now lagging behind the rest of the world when it comes to our teenagers following Jesus and being part of a church. Now let me show you something else about Australian teenagers for a moment. When they surveyed Australian teenagers between the age of 13 and 19, 74% said they struggle with loneliness, 60% said they struggle with high anxiety, and 53% said they struggle with depression. That's the state of Australia now. This is a recent study. But let me show you something, parents. Let me show you something, church, because this is our responsibility. They then asked of those teenagers, if they read the Bible at least once a month, their loneliness dropped by nearly 20%. But if they read the Bible at least once a week, their loneliness dropped by nearly 40%. Watch this, if your teenager, or if young people would read the Word at least once a week, their anxiety nearly drops 70% compared to teenagers that don't read the Bible at least once a week, and their depression drops nearly 60% compared to teenagers that don't read the Bible. Can I tell you something today? The enemy always comes for our young people, but there is a way to protect them, to guard them, and to change the trend in the next generation because the enemy is always going for the next generation. If in 50 years, we can see 50% of young people going to church go to 5%, I believe that God is greater because I've read the end of the book and I know how it ends. We can actually see that turn and go back to being a Christian nation again but it doesn't come from consuming. It doesn't come from hoping. It doesn't come from watching. It comes from doing something about it, amen? Amen. See, the enemy always tries to take out the next generation. Often we think the enemy's trying to put us in captivity. No, he's going for the next and he's using us to get them. You see, when the Israelites were in slavery, they needed a deliverer. So what did the enemy do through Pharaoh? He killed all the baby boys in order to get rid of Moses. He wanted to take out the next generation. When God's people needed a savior and they were in captivity to the Romans, it's a picture of what we are captive to. Our emotions, our sin, the world that we live in, it's a picture of us today. And when the enemy had them in captivity and they needed a savior, 
Herod tried to kill all the baby boys again because he was trying to take out the next generation. When Joshua's generation lived in the promised land, the enemy knew he couldn't take them out, so he took out the next generation. And it says in Judges, a generation grew up that neither knew the Lord nor what he did for Israel. Can I say our responsibility when we come to moments like this is not to just do things for us. We pray, we give, we believe, we worship and we serve, not just for our encounter with God, but we're giving an example and making a way for the next generation. Amen? Can I say, this is a church for everyone. I believe with all of my heart, if you choose, every age group, every denominator, every, every experience, every background, every nationality can belong, can grow, and can contribute here. You can. But can I say, for us that are like myself and a little bit older, we've made a decision to follow Jesus and we're not backsliding. But the point of decision for most Australians today is if they don't make a decision for Jesus before the age of 18, they will not follow Jesus for the rest of their life. We're okay, we're maturing in our faith. But you know what? When you turn 18, between there and the age of 30 is when the age the enemy tries to distract, turn away, and fill a young adult's lives with everything else. So we actually have to fight for them. You see, we have a walk with Jesus and we're growing in that walk with Jesus, even if it's not perfect, but the younger generation need us to help them, protect them, and set them up in this point, in the valley of decision that they're in. That's why we have screens and lights. It's not because we need it, but a young generation walk in and go, wow, this feels like what I feel like. This looks like the things I go to. This sounds like me. And they suddenly find belonging while they've got that immaturity in decision. That's why I've got songs that I grew up singing when I was younger. There are sounds and anthems of songs that I would prefer in worship, except we've got to keep on making sure that these young people that are in this place of decision and growing maturity have worship that sounds like them and we can worship to it all because we know it's all scriptural and it's all pointing to Jesus. We're not just building buildings and building clinics so that we have a place to go. We're doing it for the next generation. This is why we celebrate, invest in, and focus on kids ministry, youth ministry, young adult ministry, family ministry. It makes up so much of our church because this is the age that we have to fight for so the church can do what the church can do and we can get about changing a nation for Jesus Christ, amen? That's why it's our responsibility for, to pray for those that can't pray for themselves. You might be, my kids are older. Do you pray for the next generation in the church? You, you know, we don't build churches just for us. We build it for those that one day that are not here yet, that will be standing and worshiping and leading in our churches. We provide places of healing so that when young people grow up and need healing, they don't have to be discouraged or have to wait forever to find a place to go to. It will be in their DNA that as much as I worship Jesus, I can confidently receive healing for my emotions and my mind and my relationships too. We have to give for those that have not much to give themselves and we have to teach those that need to learn. 
That's our responsibility. That's God's call. And I believe it's scriptural. Psalm 78 says this. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell them to the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about His power and His mighty wonders. For He issued His laws to Jacob. He gave His instructions to Israel. Now watch this. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they will in turn teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting His glorious miracles and obedience. Obeying his commandments. This is what God's called us to do. This is what we're doing today. We are giving, praying, believing for, and investing what God's called us to do in these next years, but also making a way for the next generation. Amen? Amen. Parents, can I encourage you? Tell the parents that are here today and the grandparents, your kids are so moldable right now. And the time you spend with them around the Word of God, the worship that's in your home, the way they see you come to church and serve the church will influence how they grow up and if they grow up loving Jesus. Now, because my boys love basketball, whenever they're on their iPad or on the TV, they're always watching YouTube clips of basketball. They're watching old players. They're watching new players. They know all the stats. They know all the records. They can tell you the top 10 players in history, the top 20 players in history. They love it. And my wife said to me, Sean said to me the other day, she said, do you reckon they know more NBA stats than they do scripture? I was like, oh. And I paused for a moment and then said, no, come with me. And we went to our fridge. And I was excited to point to our fridge where our kids ministry has given our kids all these scriptures that they take home every week and every month and they put it on the fridge and they're learning the Word of God. Now, they probably do know more NBA stats than they do scriptures though. So I just made a decision to get better at sitting next to them when they go to bed and telling them scripture and telling them stories about God. And I'm not perfect, but can I tell you, it sinks in and they begin to tell you the stories back. Parents, you may not have much time, but the little time you give to them, that seed goes in deep and it makes a difference for the rest of eternity. You may not know what to do and we're here to support you. But let me say to you today, this is a moment, a line in the sand that says, come on, it's a reminder. We're teaching these truths to the next generation. We're giving and making a way for those to come, amen? See, faith spirals downwards unless you have a plan. See, parents, do devotions with them or let them see your Bible out. Because if we don't, they won't fall in love with the Word of God. Can I say, if you don't serve in church, they won't love the church. Say for us, we don't just serve the church to get through a weekend. We serve a church to make way for the next generation. And the keys can come. Can I say, if you don't attend church, they won't prioritise church. If we gossip about the church in the car or at home, your kids won't grow up trusting the church. If you don't get here for praise at the start of praise and worship, they'll never learn the importance of breakthrough praise in their life. Hey parents, can I give you a great tip someone gave us? Teach your kids to play an instrument. It's an investment. But when they turn 18, they'll be playing in a youth band instead of hitting the club and they'll be in the environment that puts them in the right place in that young adult important years of following Jesus. 
There's some of you here today and you're a first generation Christian and you never had a parent or a grandparent to teach you how to do this thing and you might feel lost at sea and can I say, don't feel guilt or shame about that but don't put your head in the sand either. Come and talk to us. Let us help you. Get around other parents. That's why you've gotta be in a church community with other families like this one that say we'll support you, help you and show you what we did and what we're gonna do as a church in the next little bit is we're making a series of 10 minute videos that's gonna teach you Bible stories that help your kids with confidence. So if your kid can't sleep at night, we'll give you Bible stories to teach them. We wanna give you great hints and tips about what to put in your home and how to show your kids to grow up with God. We wanna help you because it's not just about us, it's always about the next generation, amen? I think this is the heart of God. It's why we give today, it's why we pray today, it's why we worship today. That's why we sacrificially go above and beyond today. You know, Jesus was asked about this. They said to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus gave a, a scripture that he knew they would all know. He went to Deuteronomy, but he only gave the first part. He only gave the first part because he assumed he knew everyone listening knew the second part. He's like, if you came to me and I said, well, if it ain't broke, you know the answer is, well, don't fix it. You can't say the first with meaning unless it's connected to the second part. If you saw I did something well, I might say, well, the early bird, and you know what it means, gets the worm. So when Jesus says the statement that we all read in Scripture, understand everyone listening knew the second part was just as important as the first part. So they said, what's the most important commandment? And he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, verse five to seven. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And then he goes, then he doesn't go on, but they knew the next part. This is what it says. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. The most important command is that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. It's like being on a plane. What do they say when you go on a plane? In case of an emergency, fix your oxygen mask first before you do it for young children. You have to have a good devotional life before your kids have a good devotional life. You have to love the church so your kids can love the church. But once you've fixed your mask, fix their mask with oxygen too. Make sure that they're covered too. He's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and and store this in your heart. But then he doesn't pause. It goes on, the Scripture says, and teach them diligently to your children. That's our responsibility as a church, to always make way for the next generation. I mean, it says it all the way through those early instructions in Deuteronomy 4 verse 9. It says, teach them to your children and their children after them. And and Deuteronomy 11 says, "Uh, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall teach them to your children. The link between us and the next generation is always our responsibility. Joel says it this way, tell your children, of it and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. You see, everything we do as a church and everything we do as a follower of God and everything we do as parents and grandparents and spiritual parents and grandparents is not just for us, it's making a way for the generations to come. It's making a way for those that can't make way for themselves. 
So sure, we're doing a South building and I can't wait to have that lighthouse. And church, I can't wait for you to worship in it and I can't wait for you to come to it. But can I tell you, Shannon and Courtney, if you're listening at South, it's for your kids and your grandkids. For Rose and Michael, it's for your kids. For Bray and Holly, once you get married and put a ring on it, it's for your kids too. And then a clinic, a clinic is so that you and I can receive restoration and healing and hope. It's so our community can find healing and hope. But I grew up being told or implied that if you went to see a psychologist, a counsellor, if you got marriage counselling, your faith was weak. And that you should just do better. And we don't need the next generation to grow up with that lie because God has graced some people to be able to walk through laced with faith to see healing and restoration in all people. We do this for us because we need it. We do it for our community because they need it, but we do it for the next generation because they deserve better than we ever had, amen? So what does David do as we come to the beginning again? David does his heart for the house offering and he says, we're gonna build a place of worship for the next generation. So he doesn't just tell, David leads the way. And he says this, uh, it says this, sorry. He says, and now because of my devotion to the temple of God, I'm giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. David didn't just give some. He said, oh, he's making a point. He gave sacrificially. David led the way and gave sacrificially. Can I say, as a staff, as a church staff, we wanted to lead the way. We believe biblical pattern. So on Wednesday night, we got together with our families and we prayed, we interceded, we worshiped, and we gave first before the church had an opportunity. And I'm proud to tell you today, because I wanna show you we're in. As a staff, and we've got a lot of young people on staff, Our staff gave $160,000 on Wednesday as a beginning point in order to do this because we believe in what we're doing. We gave sacrificially and can I tell you, filled with joy. I love this moment because it's faith and moving forward. And every time God stretches me, God provides for me and does it in excess, amen? So David does this and David gives gold and silver. Can I safely assume today David gave in the millions. It was extravagant because the vision was extravagant, but David also gave from his frame of reference. David was wealthy. So David's frame of reference was millions. So he had to give sacrificially out of his position. Does that mean we all give millions? No, because if I go to another story, Jesus is in the temple. And he's with his disciples and it comes to the time of giving. And he gets all the boys and he goes, look, 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 look. Look at what this lady gives. And this lady just drops a few mites in the container. And they weren't impressed because they get more impressed with the number of zeros than they do the heart. But God always sees the heart and the faith that's attached. And he says, wow, she gave more than everyone else. Why? Because her frame of reference was not much but she gave with the same heart and the same sacrifice as David who gave in his millions. What are we doing today? What is sacrificial giving? He's saying, God, I hear your call and I understand scripturally what you're asking me to do. 
and I will do my best for you. I will give from my frame of reference, from my position, from my heart. What does that look like, my best? Well, now let's go back to being a parent. You know, as a parent, I'm not gonna get everything right. I won't get everything wrong either, but I won't be perfect. But when I look back and my kids are older and no longer do I have the same influence, I just wanna look back and say, I did my best. I did my best. And my best might be different to your best, but as long as we do our best, we can't do any better than that. Can I say, when it comes to a moment like this, what is sacrificial giving? It's saying, God, from my perspective, I'm doing my best to make a way and give to the next generation. You and I have this in common today. The next generation is always worth it. The house of God is always worth it. So then this last verse, and we'll finish. Maybe the campus pastors come and join me on stage as I read it. It says 1 Chronicles 29 verse six. So David said, hey, I'm gonna build the house of God and give for the next generation. I'm gonna give myself. And then it says, he gave the opportunity for all the people put on the screen. Verse six says, then the, say it with me, family leaders, the leaders of the tribe of Israel, the generals, the captains of the army, the king's administrative officers, all gave willingly. The families gave, the leaders gave, the experience gave, those that fought for the nation before gave, and they all gave willingly. Today, we've led the way. Today, we've heard from God. Today, we've done this ourselves, And now it's our church chance as a, ch as a church to give to some great vision that we'll be a part of and that we'll see God outworked, but to give so the next generation can have something incredible and something even better than we ever had. Amen. Today's the day. It hurts a little, but it doesn't hurt too much. When you begin to think how good God's been and how good God will be, that God's gonna do something incredible. I love a day like this. And I wanna just thank God for giving us vision, for letting us see the future and leading us to this point. And now the real work begins. But I also thank you as a church. I'm excited about a day like this where we say we're not staying where we are. We're moving forward. We're building something significant for His glory and to reach all people and to reach the next generation so it gets better and better that all may know the love of Jesus. So thank you, church. Thanks for fasting. Thanks for praying. Thanks for believing. And thank you today for giving. We're about to do something supernatural in Jesus' Name. Everyone said, Amen, Amen. I pray this sermon has blessed you, encouraged you and inspired you. You know, we may never have met, I may not know you, but God knows you. And I'll tell you today, God loves you. That even before you knew about Him, He loved you. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know, so many of us do life on our own, trying to lead our life in a way that finds answers and finds the peace and finds the joy we're looking for, but we come up short. But God knew that you needed rescuing, that you needed saving, that you needed His love. So He sent His Son Jesus to come and pay the price for our mistakes. He lived a perfect life, but knowing we couldn't, He said, I will take their place. So He died and rose again so that His death could pay the penalty for my mistakes in my past and His life could make a way so that I could have life. I believe that when you believe in what Jesus did and when you invite Him to be Lord of your life, you can experience forgiveness, peace, hope, joy, 
purpose and life like you've never known before. It's not about what we've done or who we're not. It's about that we have a God who's good, who can turn things for good and loves you. He's a father, he's a friend, and you can invite him into your life today by simply saying this prayer after me. I'm gonna say this prayer and wherever you are, wherever you're watching around the world, pray this prayer with me. Maybe you once knew God and you walked away. You know what, maybe he's getting your attention today to say, come back into relationship with me. Maybe you've known religion, but never a real genuine relationship with God. Why don't you say this prayer too? And I believe this can be the beginning of a great new day. Let's pray. Dear God, Thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. I pray you forgive me for my past and you walk with me into my tomorrow. Let me know your grace, your forgiveness, your peace, your purpose, your joy and your hope into my life. I ask you to lead me and guide me from this day forward. Be Lord of who I am in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer today. I believe that as you did, the peace, the grace, and the love of God comes into your life. You know what? The past is real, but it doesn't have to dictate your future. Let the love, the grace, and the Word of God go with you from this day forward. And I believe the best days are ahead for you. If you prayed this prayer or you want to know more, maybe you're on the journey, why don't you flick us an email so we can send you some material about following Jesus. We can maybe connect you with a local church near you that you can do life with, get good people around you, and we would love to pray with you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I'm so glad you're on the journey of following Jesus. I'm so glad you listened today. God bless.